0: Bit of a thought experiment this morning to start as we kind of gather around the, the scriptures and the teaching. You can, if you want, open up your Bible to Philippians chapter 1, is where we're going to be. But a little thought experiment to start. If you were on a deserted island with just a Bible, just you and the Bible, and you are there on this island, Uh, okay, maybe you and Tom Hanks too, and Wilson, okay? You, Tom Hanks, Wilson the volleyball, and a Bible, and you had no preconceived idea of what church is, and you started to read from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, what would you come up with? It's an interesting thought experiment because... It's hard for us to do this. We have to obviously recognize that we have thousands of years of history that we lean into and millennia of history when it comes to the story of Israel and the Old Testament. But it is an interesting uh, experiment in light of what we want to move towards as the church. Yes, we have history, but if you were on a deserted island just with the scriptures, even if we just gave you the New Testament, What do you think you would come up with as the concept of church? It's fascinating in our moments where church is so many different things to so many different people and traditions and experiences that shape us deeply But it is important for us to kind of come from an understanding at times and come to it, if I was just, I had no preconceived idea and I picked up the scriptures and read about this group of people and what they were doing and how they were moving and how they were functioning, what would it mean for me today? Even deeper is this idea around fellowship, and this is going to be the word we're going to look at this morning. Fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia. We hear this word if you've been around uh, the church or Sunday school for any amount of time. It's a word that we use. We use it a lot in the church that I grew up in. Typically meant like the coffee time after Sunday night church. Anybody else with me? few of you, you're a few of you are in therapy, it's good, it's good to go, You're good to go. Um, we called this, and, and this, this is crazy, I can't believe we did this, but at the church I grew up which is a wonderful church, they called it the Afterglow. That's what they called it, join us at the Afterglow, and you're like, I turned 15 years old, and I'm like, wait a second, that is, that's a little, cool, hey, call it what you want, but uh, some of you, like 10 minutes from now, you're going to oh, be okay, yes, okay. Yeah. The Greek word is koinonia. Koinonia, fellowship. If you were put on an island just with the scriptures, what would your concept or idea be of koinonia, of the church in fellowship? Would it be screens and lights? None of that is wrong. We have screens and we have some lights, though they're off because we have the natural light. Are you with me? It's good. Would it be 10 a.m. on Sunday morning? What would it be? You know, the concept that we've you know, embedded ourselves in over the last couple of thousand years, I mean, there's, there's, there's precedent, there's truth, there's goodness in that, but I think we all have to wrestle with the church, and we all have to wrestle with this Greek word koinonia. Now, this Greek word um, koinonia, the base of this word simply means common, That's what we could kind of wrap in our minds. It is an understanding of like a commonness amongst people. Um, It was often, you know, if you think about like a common room, like a space that has shared resources, that is kind of one of the ways that we grasp this idea of fellowship. Commonness. In your English Bible, and we're going to read a text here in a little bit, the word partnership is used which I think is a really helpful word when we think of koinonia. Remember, we have Greek words that are often translated different in different ways in English words, and so partnership is a good word. I I like the word uh, sharedness, that there's a sense of, uh, attached to this word koinonia or fellowship is the idea of sharedness. It often referred to a marriage covenant, two people coming together to share one life, and even for the early church, this was actually really palpable for them that it was, there was a sense of laying themselves down and even laying preference down to come into a type of fellowship or koinonia that was sharing in all of life. Ultimately, the, the picture we get of koinonia is sharing life with God and others. And like we've done over these several weeks, what we're going to do is to take a few minutes And kind of wrap our minds around how we see this in the Old Testament and then in Paul's writings and then kind of look at what it means for us. Sound like a plan? Old Testament. Now, the word koinonia is obviously not used in the Old Testament because the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. But uh, Nijay Gupta does a really good job at explaining, and some of you are following along in the book and and reading through it. He does a really good job at saying, basically, we obviously don't see this word like in Greek because it's written in Hebrew, but the concept of fellowship in the story of Israel is so important. We actually get glimpses into fellowship all over the place in the life of Israel. He gives two examples that I think make it grabbable, kind of sustainable for us when we think about this word. We'll, and we'll do this before we get to Philippians 1, but one of the images is when Joshua takes responsibility for leading Israel and their fight against the Amalekites. If you know this story, uh, Moses was getting older in age and instead of being down on the ground in battle, Moses is on the hilltop with Aaron and Hur and if you know the story, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel became stronger and overpowered the enemy Uh, but when he lowered his arms, the enemy would prevail and so there's this this moment in time and if you know the story Aaron and her did a couple things and and Gupta would say that this is actually a sign a beautiful picture of what fellowship looked like in the story of Israel if you know the story Aaron and her they looked around for a large rock for Moses to rest his leg and, if you, you know, the, the, really the, the central part of the story is these two stood on each side of Moses and braced his arms for him. Gupta would say, you know, we, we look at this in the story of Israel, that's beautiful. But he pulls it out and says, hey, don't, don't miss out that this was fellowship. This was sharedness it was almost like a a picture for Israel of the sharedness in their story and remember they would read this story over and over as we read in the psalm today from generation to generation they would read this Moses and Aaron story a lot and, and pass it on this was fellowship Moses was not alone there was a togetherness a sharedness in that story Image two Gupta would give is a little later on in the story, if you know, it progresses and Israel, which if we're honest, is a bit of a gong show at times. They have all these beautiful things spoken over them and this call to be love and light in the world and at times they fail. But they get into this place where God gives them manna from heaven, this uh, this almost bread-like kind of sustenance and food for them day in and day out. And if you know the Hebrew kind of translation of manna, it's kind of the Hebrew translation is what is this? What, what, what is this stuff? Nobody really knew what this was. It was just provision from God and this special bread from heaven. And if you know that in that story, one of the things God said is you don't, uh, you don't hoard, right? I'm going to provide this manna. But you don't hoard this. You take just as much as you need, and I will provide the next day. And then on the weekend, obviously, they uh, got double for the Sabbath. But this picture of, like, there's, there's tons here. Don't, don't take more than you need. And Gupta would say, and I think there's a beautiful, like, understanding around this. Yes, God is provider and sustaining Israel. Obviously, that's the picture we get. But there's a social component to God's provision here that can't be missed. There was just enough manna for each person, and if they took too much, they would go hungry, right? Sure, it's about trusting God, but it's also about that the community would actually learn to care for each other in the process in collecting this provision, right? The leaders we know would take extra for small children, for those disabled in the community and the elderly— and part of the rhythm was not just, I love this, part of the rhythm was not just the provision. They had to learn that part of fellowship, part of sharedness, togetherness, was making sure that you didn't take more than what you needed, right? Bigger, bigger picture kind of going on here in the life of Israel. And that's just two simple images of, I think, like what we get in the scriptures when it talks about Israel being this community together in shared and common life together. It was about fellowship. And yes, they failed, but we draw from these stories, I think, more than just, yes, God providing for them in the moment. That's part of it, a huge part of it, but also the social implications for them as a community. Make sense? You with me? And then you just read Genesis to Revelation, and there's these signposts, Genesis to Malachi, all over the place of how they are to enact as a community. Woo, how are we doing? Good? Talking Old Testament on Sunday morning. It's good. Okay, now we get to Paul's writings. And if you want to open with me again, Philippians chapter 1, if you know, and if you were part of the community, some of you were, 2014, we walked through the letter of Philippians really slowly, line by line. And one of the things we know in Paul's writing is that he is big on this thing called koinonia. Yes, it had a frame within the, uh, the Greco-Roman world, but Paul believed that fellowship, that koinonia was integral to the community. And one of Paul's convictions is that we can only truly know genuine koinonia with others when we are restored to proper fellowship with God. It is Paul, one of the ways we could kind of frame Paul and his thinking around the church and fellowship, certainly it is vertical, this vertical component of being right with God and in life with God and under his rule and reign. But then that also spread out horizontally to the community around us. So Paul says this, Philippians 1, this is just one little glimpse of what Paul talks about when he talks about fellowship. He says this, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, remember he's writing to this church in Philippi, I always pray with joy, and remember Paul is writing from jail, which is crazy, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is celebrating this partnership in the gospel. Now what do you think the word partnership is in Greek because you're all really smart and you're on the ball this morning? It's pretty simple. It's this word koinonia. He says, I thank you because of this, this fellowship, this partnership together in the gospel, and being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It goes on. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. And everybody said, amen, we could just close on that one and go home, right? Paul's picture of ecclesia of the church together is koinonia, is fellowship. This is what marks the church. And it's it really, really, just like all the other words that we are trying to grasp and comprehend in our moment, this is a big one. Because fellowship and partnership or togetherness, sharedness is the center. Jesus is the center of who we are. But then as far as practice, this is the center in and, and, and which we flow out of. And it's important that we grasp this, that there is a sharedness that should permeate us as the church, that something should happen within us, right, as the church. Four things we could look at, um, just even if you peer through the letter of Philippians, which we don't have obviously time to read, I think it's four chapters long, but Paul hits on the different things in which koinonia, or sharedness, embodies. One, it's sharing the spirit, Right? Sharing the Spirit, that there is one common Spirit that all of us have access to. This is the crazy thing. You know, sometimes we get into discussion like, why didn't Jesus just stay on the scene, right? Why did he have to go to the right hand of the Father? Why, why not just kind of stay and set up shop and let kind of see it happen from uh, the the beginning when he was here? And why kind of take off? And and one of the pictures we get around the Spirit is we get to certainly share in the life of Christ but I I know we have some pretty sweet beards around here sometime. I have not seen a wandering rabbi from Israel recently. Anybody with me? You know, like it's actually when we gather it around what's unfolded and what's unfolding for us, it's actually better for us because Jesus was what? Some of us have a hard time with this, but Jesus was limited to one place at one time. Now you and I, we share in this spirit where G- Christ is present in and amongst his people sharing the life of God. This is beautiful. So when we, talk about, um, when we talk about koinonia, when we talk about fellowship, what does it look like? Well, it looks like a group, a community of people sharing in the spirit together. We have the same access to God in the spirit which is among us as the temple this morning and there are people all over the world, cathedrals, warehouses, homes, I think of some of the places I've traveled where I've seen the the church most alive and present to think that all of us have this ability in fellowship and sharedness to share the Spirit. So we share the Spirit. We also share the sufferings of Christ, right? And this is not uh, something we like to necessarily talk about a lot, especially in our very, I'm the first, right, in our very convenient kind of world that we live in in the West. But one of the things Paul would say in Philippians is that koinonia, this this idea of sharedness, is we are sharing in what Jesus has done. We are sharing in the suffering of Christ. That one of the things that Paul would continue to dial in is that in our weakness, Christ is made strong. That you and I, brothers and sisters, we we, we enter into the sufferings of Christ, understanding that part of, and I think you know this, part of the deep, profound, beautiful Christian story is people gave their lives for this in suffering and following him. And so we share in the, the access to the spirit, but we also, we share in the sufferings of Christ. We also share in one life, right? So the image that Paul would often give is a body together, a community together that The commonness of koinonia is that we share in the life of Christ, but we are this body where Jesus is the head and we play our different parts. You know, uh, we think of the body and the the image of the body and we know that when parts are severed, and I know Heather's gonna roll her eyes, just like when my skate was fingered over when I was 12 years old playing pond hockey, right? When a part is severed, yeah, I got a wicked scar. Some of you are like, really? I got an amazing story to tell if you ever wanna know it. When we know, we know when parts are severed from the body that it's, it's excruciating, painful. And yet, Paul would give the picture of we are sharing in this one life, in the spirit, one life in Christ. That we are this body come together under the rule and reign of Jesus. And koinonia ultimately means that we share in this mission Right, so I don't know about you, but even in our city, I'm going to be a little judgmental here, and I shouldn't be, but I got the mic, so it's all good. I'm not really being that judgmental, but if you look at a lot of a lot of things in our own city around evangelism, it's kind of doing it on its own. Right? We need a, we need a parachurch. We need some para people to kind of go out and, and and evangelize and do their thing and kind of be the evangelists. What's fascinating is you pick up in the scriptures, and I think Paul would grab a hold of this one of the things that we all share in is the mission of God is bringing to bear not just the good news of Jesus but an embodied community think of first thessalonians paul says listen i'm thankful for the gospel but i'm also thankful for the life that we you and i get to live together we share one life but we share the mission together you are not on your own brothers and sisters that should be like A pressure valve of just releasing the pressure sometimes that we feel to kind of take the weight of the world on ourselves. And know that all of us in this room, koinonia is about all of us together embodying the mission of God. We should be thankful for this, that we don't have to own it all on our own. You with me? We do this together. And so the picture we get, Paul, over and over, koinonia, shared life. Koinonia, this commonness, this sharedness together. And, um, you know, one theologian, especially more recently, has really drilled down on this idea that the best metaphor for the church, and he would actually say it's not even really a metaphor, it's reality, that the, the reality for the church is family, right? That actually in the New Testament, when we read about the New Testament, the church actually became a surrogate family for people. And this, this was especially because when people would come into the way of Jesus in the Roman Empire, amen, we got, we got pads coming on. It's great. Let's see if we can turn those off. Maybe that's a sign, you know? It's like the Emmys are like playing the music to get me to be, have I been that long? I don't, I'm like running 12, 13 minutes here, I think. Am I not? I'm watching the time. Lord, Okay. Church is not just a, met- or family is not just a metaphor, it is a reality. And in the first century, you were giving up, obviously, in the empire, which was the worship of the emperor. You were giving up your life, and a lot of times that was deeply connected to your family. Now, some of you may have experienced this, coming to Jesus, where you gave up a life. Your, par- or your parents or your family, that world thinks you're crazy for doing what you're doing but there were different layers in the first century, and really, the church had to become this, this surrogate family in, in, in that time for, for fellowship, for koinonia. Um, and this obviously grinds at our cultural moment. That's crazy for some of us to think, and I get it. You know, as we live in an age of what Charles Taylor would call an age of authenticity or the age of autonomy, I get it, and quite honestly, as, a, uh, as a, more of an introvert, I understand the propensity to kind of move towards what's easy and comfortable. Trust me, guys, there are times where there are moments where sometimes I think it would be just amazing to go to a really big church and slide in at, and it's not about size, but it would be sometimes nice just to go and slide in at 10 a.m., slide out at 11 a.m., and kind of live my life. I feel that, and I'm up, you're like, dude, are you a pastor? I'm just coming, this is free therapy for me, okay? I feel that pull at times, right? And there's always the tension between what is true and right and what we feel. In the age of a- autonomy or authenticity, we feel this pull, um, and everything, you know, I even find this as an introvert. Everything is designed for me to be an individual. And then you get to the type of layers of what Paul is talking about. And we have to wrestle with this, right? Our identity, so you're on that, you're on that kind of island with Wilson and Tom Hanks. And you start reading and you start seeing that the identity of God's people is always a shared people together, A koinonia type of people, a common type of people. You know, around family, Joseph Hellerman, he would go further and he'd say that when a church was a family in the first century, here's a few things he, in his research around what family looked like in the Greco-Roman world, what he would say about church's family in the New Testament. He would say this, in the New Testament world, the group always took priority over the individual. And so some of you know this, especially for maybe Eastern, if you have more Eastern cultural backgrounds, you know that the group always takes priority over the individual. And again, I feel the pull, even with Christmas coming, sometimes I'm like just thinking about my individual self, right? Um... It's fascinating to if you just look at the, the way the world is shaped and how deeply important family was in priority over the group. Two, he'd say, in the New Testament world, a, pers- a person's most important group was their blood family. And so the, there was dynamic here in the early church, right, around Koinonia, because deeply entangled, and this is good, right? Like, we promote strong, healthy families together, obviously, But in the New Testament world, it was so deep and tied together. But three, Hellerman would say, he'd say in the New Testament world, the closest family bond was not the bond of marriage. It was actually the bond between siblings. That the closest bond was not marriage. It was between siblings. Now, interesting then when you pick up and you read Paul's writings, what kind of language is he using all the time? brothers and sisters. The language of brothers and sisters. Hellerman would go on and say the Christian communities established by Peter, Paul, and others in the Roman Empire were strong group surrogate family units in which the good of the group took priority over the desires and aspiration of individual matters. And so, you're wonderful, by the way, I love you, but you know, it's interesting over the last 13 years or more, I've been in full-time ministry you know, 20 years, I often would have people come up and say, I wanna grow, right? There's this epiphany, I wanna grow, I understand I'm a disciple, I wanna grow in Jesus. He- uh, Hellerman would say spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community people who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding and they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to their fellow human beings. Koinonia, right? Fellowship. This is especially the case for those courageous Christians who actually stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. He goes on to say long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. I want to grow, people say, right? People say this to me. Hellerman would say people who stay also grow. Koinonia, people who stay grow. So what we find in the scriptures, if I were to give you a Bible on on a deserted island, you, Wilson, Tom, Hanks, You're coming together. You're trying to sort it out. What we find, I think, in the Bible, amongst all the ways to do church and do things and all of that we should wrestle through and talk through, is a God in the Bible who seems at least as uh, concerned with his group, me in relationship with my brothers and sisters in Jesus, as he is with the individual me, me in relationship with God. There's as much attention given to the horizontal as the vertical, would go on to say this, he'd say, God's intention is not to become the feel-good father of a myriad of isolated individuals who appropriate the Christian faith as yet another avenue toward personal enlightenment. And we could just drop the mic on that one, right? And so we're all challenged with this. The frame of koinonia and fellowship is in the context of family and church as a family. Now this leaves us, and I know the music was playing, trying to hurry me me along, and we will come to the tables. But this leaves, I think, all sorts of grappling and wrestling for us then about what it means for us, right? Um, Not that big is bad. Not that trying to reach people through church gatherings is necessarily bad. But it's fascinating to me that a group of people that had to meet in secret in the first century early on, exploded around the Roman Empire. And one of the reasons, I believe, is because it was true, authentic, real koinonia. And we're at a moment in place. This is actually really beautiful, especially like beautiful in the vision we have as kind of like a bivocational church and um, simple, we travel light, right? We're this eucharismatic community trying to blend uh, attention to The Eucharist and the church calendar, along with contemporary ways of doing things. And but I I think in light of all of that, we're at a space where this can be really, really good for us because it it draws us into a type of way where we put koinonia first, right? There's so many ways we can approach things, but you know, through COVID, one of the I think the, the things that is gonna be really helpful for us is it's not no more about like, how good your music is and how good the speaking and teaching is in a church community. What should define the church community, and even as we come to it, is what type of fellowship is available to me? What type of sharedness and connection is available to me in that community? That should be the marker. And so it kind of bats the ball back into our court and my court. Again, I know. Uh, in a very busy world and time and place for me and for, I know for most of us and probably all of us in this room in different ways, it kind of bats the ball into our court and says, okay. Like koinonia is in our hands as the people of God. We have the ability to take this and live this kind of shared life out. It's kind of like uh, the initiative we're confronted with is for all of us in Paul's writings. Not just about coffee after church, but a deep common shared life together and that looks different in different ways but the hope is is that there's a sense of inspiration and 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 for us a cultivating in our own lives to come to this and take the responsibility on ourselves it's not about what your church can do for you right but what you can do for your church right and we're in a place where that's actually that's the way it has to be right the way we've set it up and so, this word and understanding it is, is very, very important for us. I would encourage and call all of us as we come to the table. We come. We're gonna listen. We are in life with God this morning, teaching and worship and connecting together. We're gonna get down the aisle here in a minute and grab communion and and come into that sharing life with Christ. But for some of us, maybe the stirring for us is in a, in a koinonia type of community, a, fel- a, a fellowship amongst us, maybe God is drawing you to deeper and to more. I don't know what that looks like, but we shouldn't disconnect one from the other. Worship of God and love for our brothers and sisters and what this means for us. And it also hopefully means for us an open posture just to, like, God, surprise us in, in, in what happens within our own community and our lives being open to others. So, Jesus, I pray by your Spirit that You just seal what you are speaking to us this morning. And as we come to the tables here, as we take time to worship and celebrate, may you just do a work within us. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for what you're speaking and saying. I thank you for what you're doing. And I just pray that you would help us. Help me. I know just sometimes the propensity to be drawn into my own world. Help us this morning shared life together. As we share life with you, may it just flow in to our brothers and sisters. And may, as Paul uh, wrote many years ago, that he's thankful for this partnership in the gospel. May our community be this type of community. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand up with me. The tables are open as they always are at the end of the gathering and I just encourage you to take some time in this moment and uh, grab the bread and cup. Let's take it together as you kind of come back to your seat and Lexi's going to lead us. We're just going to worship together as we close our time together but let's just press in. Let's press in. The table is open.